Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Well, we just sang those truths, that's why he came, right? It, it, it's, it's such a common thing for people in terms of church. People go like, man, I don't, I don't deserve to come. Or I hear people say, like, if I, if I walked into there, what would, what would happen to me? Or these things. We have this sense of our inadequacies. And, but it's the whole reason why he came. He came for people that are in trouble, and we're all in trouble. The most in trouble are those who don't know it. And so when we gather in this place, we don't need to like put on a happy face. I mean, we most of us take a shower. I mean, and that we don't have to like clean ourselves up in some way. We can be absolutely who we are before him. And one of the reasons why it's important in the gathering, I think, it's another place where we, we hear God speak to us from his word. He can do it anytime in any place. But there's something in the gathering where we, where we hear that or sometimes we sing a truth and sometimes I don't even have the strength to sing that thing which is true, but I hear your voice. I hear you sing it. And faith is kindled. It's called out. It's what is needed. But that's why we gather. We gather because we need this. And our prayer always, Lord, help your present here. Pray that each person, no matter where they are, we would encounter the Lord himself, his person, his presence through his word, preached, prayed, sung in that. It's a wonderful thing that we have. So we're in, we're in Matthew 12 today. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to verses 15 and 21. I thank you, Dan and Cindy, both. We, we've heard some of this recited already today. Shannon's going to read it in just a moment. But I would, want to just kind of give some background. I've, I've actually, at the end of 11, or really all of chapter 11 and 12, how they fit together, um, we, we kind of go through a book slowly, and it's really helpful for me. Um, the, the danger of it is we take these pieces, and we just get in the piece, but they all hang together in Matthew's narrative of what's going on. And it, there's some wonderful ways chapters 11 and 12 work very well together. So let me just remind us of where we've been. Um, I often say it this way, so if you watch TV series, they'll go previously. It's just helpful to think previously what's happened because that brings us, that, that makes what's taking place right here, um, it, it, it kind of sharpens the lens on it. But uh, what's going on here, after the whole aspect of John the Baptist asking this question, and Jesus says that phrase, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And we've seen many people being offended by Jesus in different ways. He's, he's not the kind of king they wanted. He's not the kind of Messiah they were looking for. But he speaks with real honor to, to John the Baptist and John's honest questions. Then we see him with a, a pretty strict word of judgment talking about to those cities that he had been preaching in and, and particularly doing miracles, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And he says, it will be more bearable for Tyre, Sidon, Sodom, and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for you. Meaning this, Jesus came before them. They saw the signs. Those previous cities had the prophets they have the actual presence of Jesus doing these things, and they've not repented. And so we considered that whole thing. What he's saying there is the more we know, the more we're accountable for. And Jesus has a really strong word to them. And then right after that, at the end of 11, which we heard quoted another time, it says, 
at that time, Jesus declared, he just begins to speak to the fathers, those that are listening. And he says, Father, I thank you that you hid these things from the wise and powerful, but you revealed them to little babes. That was your good pleasure. And that's then where the invitation language comes in. He says, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And you'll find, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's, it's the invitation. And then it goes into that, that Sabbath event, which is absolutely connected. How many times does he invite us to himself for rest? And the whole Sabbath event where the disciples are, you know, plucking the heads of grain and heals a guy, what Jesus reveals there, he makes some very stunning statements. And what Matthew wants to see, he wants to see who is Jesus and how is his ministry, what is he doing, which is the same as it is today. But in there, the two stunning statements are, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and there is something, someone, greater than the temple who is here. What is he saying of that? We thought about that last week. That Jesus is indicating he is our place of rest. It's not only that he gives us rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who invented Hebrews 4. He is our place of rest, and he is our place and person of worship. So for them, that was a, was a big paradigm shift in terms of some, someone greater than, something greater than the temple is here. Because in their culture, you go to this place. You go to the tabernacle. You go to the temple to worship. There's a whole discussion in John 4 with a Samaritan woman. It's a geographic center. When Jesus comes, when he dies... The veil's torn. It's him. He is the temple. He became flesh to dwell among us. He's bringing God there. He's the one we worship. Is that just blowing your minds away? They're, they're like, all these things are not yet grasped probably until resurrection. And he goes through all the scriptures in Luke 24. But if you want to go further, what he said is to the church now. But he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He tells his disciples, I'm going to leave you. But I'm preparing a place for you. I will not leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send my spirit. And sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as this weird part of the Trinity. It's his spirit. All that you ever see and hear in the scripture of Jesus, it's his spirit. And I'm going to send him to dwell in you. And as the apostles continue to teach, we saw this in Ephesians 2. What it says is that God is making you the people of God, the brothers and sisters. He's building you into a holy dwelling place, a temple, by his spirit. That is every time we gather like this on a Sunday or in smaller, his holy spirit is present. And I appreciate the thing that Joe said to me on the phone today when he says, um, for the youth, I mean, the things that they're hearing about God's heart and being called to faith to believe what God's word says. And I thought about us Am I, do I believe what God says? Am I aware that God's spirit is present all the time? He's present in the gathering, in a household, in a thing like this. Do I, as, as the um, end, of 25, end of 11, when Jesus is speaking to the Father, am I, am I that aware of God's presence that I'll just, I'll, we're talking here and I'll talk there. That, that's honestly where I personally want to grow all the time. I want us to grow in that awareness of him, believing what his word has said.
So that's the two pictures he just gave was, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, someone greater than the temple is here, and when he says those statements, the way it ends is, the Pharisees then conspired to kill him. That's their reaction. And that leads us up to these verses, which paint a different picture. Lord of the Sabbath, greater than the temple, and this one here is that he's God's servant. God's anointed, God's servant, sent for all peoples. What Matthew continues to do throughout this is he's showing us these pictures of Jesus that we'd understand him, who he is, which is true then and still true now. So would you stand with me as Shannon comes and we give our attention to the word of God, asking the Lord to give us his kind of ears to hear this and receive it as his word. Thank you, Shannon. Matthew 12, 15 through 21. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Amen. Let's pray as we stand. Father, again, this is your word. It has stood for all of time. It's the word that you have chosen for us to hear today. So, Lord, as we often pray, we don't want to simply tolerate the next minutes and hear preaching. We need to hear from you. And so, Lord, again, in the way that you know how to do, in a way that is miraculous, may we hear the Spirit speaking your word to us. And then, Lord, would you give us the grace to respond in a way that's good? You, you know everyone here. You know all our needs. So would you help us in that way, we pray thanking you in faith for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So typical, we're going to kind of walk through this. I, I think the first part, just so you know, will, will probably be um, a little faster. Um, helpful to me, I don't know if we can get those spotlights up there. The guy preaching is old. Thank you. I can see better. Oh, that's my Bible there. Okay. Not quite that bad. But. So the, the kind of the flow of the passage, just kind of, I like... How is this constructed? First, he simply, after you have the, the, the strong reaction to Pharisees, I mean, it's a, they want to destroy him. There's a huge contrast in the next verses, but it's Jesus' actions is what's next in response to the Pharisees' plans to kill him. We'll talk about that in a moment. Secondly, verse 17, he simply says, um, this was to fulfill what was spoken by Isaiah. There's something very significant about that statement. And then the, the last part is the last verses. He's quoting from Isaiah 42, I think it is. He just quotes it, basically. But the quote is framing out Jesus' ministry. And what he's doing is taking that, showing this is what Jesus is doing from his immediate response there and, and, and throughout. And there's just some 
we're going to walk through that one slower because there's some details there to see the heart of Jesus for us that I think it's important. So the first one, verses 15 and 16, Jesus' actions in response to the Pharisees' plans to kill him. There's three things that he, that he does. He withdraws. He heals. Thank you, Dan. That was wonderful. Um, and he then orders people to not make him known. So let's just think about it for a moment. Why, why would he withdraw? At this point in Jesus' ministry, this is, it's not the final fight. When the time is right, Jesus, he's not going to fight. When the time is right, he is essentially he is going to give up his life. He walks right into Jerusalem, the very place where they sought to kill him. I think it's Thomas who says, like, all right, let's go with him and die with him, because everybody knows that they're trying to kill him. He goes in there, but he goes in there at a particular time. It's the Passover, when the Passover lamb is going to be killed. All of that foreshadowing and, and being Jesus, that's when he comes to take that last supper and fulfill all that's been laid out there for centuries. He came to do that. This is not the time of fighting. Not now. So he withdraws. You'll see this in Isaiah also. Secondly, he heals them all. Throughout, throughout the narrative so far, we have seen Jesus' compassion to heal those who come to him. And friends, we heard it today in our call to worship. Healing is found in coming to Jesus. Jesus' invitation is to the, the burdened and heavy laden. That still echoes in our ears. It, it, this would have been read out loud, Matthew's gospel would have. So the hearers would, would, would still hear that those words, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come and take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. You'll find rest for your souls. It's all echoed here. Healing is found in coming to Jesus. Yet he then orders them to not make him known. That seems odd, doesn't it? Well, let's consider it this way. On the one hand, it might seem odd, but if we think about what's taking place at this point in Jesus' ministry, why is it that people are coming to Jesus? Lots of healing, miracles. Uh, soon after this, there's going to be 5,000 fed, then 4,000 fed after that. His teaching is intriguing. It is not like the Pharisees, and I never liked what the Pharisees taught anyway. Lots of reasons that people would be, get interested in Jesus. And most people then, and maybe even today, we, kind of, we approach like, here's what I want or, or here's what I think I need. That's not terrible. But what is it that Jesus came to do? Essentially, it's to show us the Father's heart in a real person. God had felt very distant, unattainable. Jesus came to bring God near and invite us into his very presence. If a person gets healed of their cancer or their belly full of food, yet they never come into a, a genuine relationship with God, what is gained? Friends in church, that can be true for us. There could be lots of reasons we come. It could be good habits, moral people. It's what I've always... There could be lots of reasons. But if a genuine relationship with the Lord himself is never attained, what is gained? 
one who is Lord of the Sabbath, one who is greater than the temple, is before us. He is our place of rest and worship. He will lay down his life so that we can come into the very presence of God. This was not the time to proclaim that yet. It will be at the end, right? Death and resurrection, then he goes and tells them. <laughs> Go tell them, the nations. We have Isaiah, there's a, some of the nations in it. But this is not the time. Just come and learn of me. Secondly, Jesus fulfills his, God's word, verse 17. I wrote it that way. I could say prophecy. Um, it's God's word. And uh, the word that's quoted here is 700 years earlier. The word fulfilled is very intentional. Matthew, I think it's the ninth time he's spoken of this. I think there's 15 times in this gospel. He's pointing out that Jesus is fulfilling God's word. He's fulfilling what was prophesied. For them and for us, very important because he's saying this is a verification that Jesus is exactly who is prophesied. So once again, why is that important? There were other messiahs, others coming and claiming at different times, but it's showing who he is. We should not ignore that. While, though few of us are Jewish in our ethnicity or have that deep understanding, super significant for them, but it's there to show it. It's like a signpost saying, this is true. Our culture right now rejects Christianity, rejects the church for lots of reasons. A lot of it's because of the problems in the church, which we get. Church is full of that. It's full of people. It's got that in that. But there's not considering of Jesus himself and who he is. And, and Matthew's dropped this in very intentionally so we know this is true. He is who he said he is. And he's quoting Isaiah, who displays God's king as God's servant for all peoples and a king who will suffer. That make any sense in, in, in world powers or in other world's religions. It just makes no sense. So fulfilled prophecy, in a sense, it operates like a signpost. Um, nobody looks at them anymore because they're all doing GPS. Yeah, I know how far away. But it used to be a day you'd pay attention to road signs. Oh, St. Joe's 10 more miles. Oh, Chicago's this far away. You'd look at that. It's a, it's a signpost, and that's how, how prophecy works, saying something that is true and what's to come. All right, we'll slow it down here. The last part is verses 18 to 21. I'll read it again. Thank you, Shannon, for the way you read it. Um, Isaiah's framing out Jesus' ministry, and, and let me say it this way. When Jesus was ministering, Matthew did not get this. He had no clue. Je I mean, Matthew's as confused as anyone was confused about Jesus. Matthew drops this in as he writes this narrative um, after Jesus has returned to heaven. It's written so the church will know some things. But the disciples probably, they didn't get this until Luke 24, you know, where Jesus one's the Emmaus Road, and then there's his appearance. And it says when Jesus appeared to them, he walked them through the scriptures concerning himself the Psalms, the prophets, the law. It's so everybody goes, ah, what, what would you like to ask in heaven? I just want to replay that video. When, when he's showing them all, how their eyes must be, oh, things they might have heard when they are in, in a synagogue, all these scriptures made sense. So I am, we know that happened. I'm certain that's why these things are dropped into Matthew's narrative. He's pulling up. Jesus probably tutored them in this after he resurrected. 
And so he's dropping this in, and it's so clearly Jesus. Let me read it again. Think Jesus. It's written 700 years before he came. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Let's consider these phrase by phrase. Because this is showing us Jesus, our Savior. He is still this today. First, behold my servant. See, we got Okay, good. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. I underline specific words there. Have we, have we ever seen this in Matthew? This is Isaiah. Ever seen this in Matthew? I won't call on you. Raise your hand if it sounds familiar. I just saw someone do something here. Hey, anybody? Thank you. Only one? Are the rest of you not playing? Two, three? Okay. This is, this is what we heard spoken at his baptism. These are, the, these are the words. It's prophetic. It's from Isaiah. But God, as he's baptized, speaks this. Uh, I think in a couple chapters later, when Jesus' body is transfigured, uh, Peter, I almost said Peter and Paul, Peter, James and John, they're up on the mountain. His, his whole body's transfigured. The Lord speaks these words then also. Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I'll put my spirit on him. It was at the baptism when the spirit is seen as a dove descending on him, take, leading him out into the wilderness. Here's what we see. Jesus serves and does only what the Father does. He is not independent of the Father. And he's much loved. We see it in his ministry. Other gospel writers will speak of this in a, in a very amplified way. But that's a good pattern for us. I just want to think through it. That he serves and does only what the Father does. He doesn't work independently of him. And there's this recognition of being much loved. I say pattern. Um, this is all about Jesus. But he walks something out for the church. I think a lot of times we can, we can want to do things and want to you know, ministry. I, I'm sure Jesus, you know, I'm, um, Peter had some suggestions for Jesus along the way, right? Um, what might be good? Pastors get suggestions from lots of people about things that might be good. You have ideas. We all have ideas what might be good. What we want to do is we want to pay attention to what the Father's doing and walk that way. So that's, we've got to be talking to him and listening to him. And praying. The Lord opens and closes doors. Might be a closed door. Well, keep on knocking. He says what to do there. But we, we want to, to go where he's going. That takes discernment. That takes prayer. We would ask that. Now, I, I think you can talk to him about anything. I don't think you have to be worried about polishing your words up and all that. But we want to always be asking. Um, number number. I got about... My list of problems in life are pretty big. Um, I don't know. It's in my top five. Um, is assuming. Anybody else assume? Don't point. Don't point. Just kidding. No one point. But often we assume we know what's right. 
And we do that in church all the time. We assume we know what God wants. We do it in our prayers. We assume what God wants. I think you can ask him about anything. But to pay attention to what God's doing and to learn to, to pray that way or to ask that way, which is much more open-handed, which is much more like the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done, Lord, in this situation. Lord, your will be done in my life, in this marriage, just like it is in heaven. We're, we're praying whatever that is, and just asking. There's an open-handed way. There's an open-handed way Jesus prays in the garden. Says exactly what he wants. But, if it, but nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. There's a, there's a submission in that kind of a praying. And it models something for us. He is God's servant, much loved. God's spirit is in him. He walks that out for us, and it's, it's a pattern. Um, I don't want to think for a moment about the love the father has for the son. Um, it's also a pattern. So I, I just connect these things. Read, read through uh, John chapters uh, four, 14 through 17. And just look at the way the love of the Father for the Son is mutual and expressed back and forth, and for his children, and for us. I, I, I think a couple of weeks ago we talked about this. It's, for some of us, it's hard to grasp how much we're loved by God. Therefore, because it's true, his word says it. It's a place we need to think. We, need to, we want to live and walk and act out of that sense. When it's a sense of duty, it comes out as a sense of duty. When it comes out of the sense of how much we're loved by God, it, it's freeing. Service is worship. It's dependence on him. There's things that happen in us internally that's just different. So John, John um, elaborates on this a number of places. First uh, John also. Let me read chapter 3, verse 1. Just reminders. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. That's probably enough to read, actually. That's what he calls us. Children of God. And so we are. Just think of that. How could that be? He's taken those who ran from him and made us his beloved children. Through, as we sang it today, through the blood of his son, there's nothing that shows the love of the father more than he's given us the son. And so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Not later, now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. That's mind-blowing. This is. So that's a place some of us need to meditate. Jesus was loved much, and those who love Jesus, the Father loves you, and nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. Okay, we'll move to the next one. Oh, it's that time already. Okay, I'll go faster. Maybe I won't. So what you're going to see in these next ones, Jesus, I mean, he just demonstrates a spirit that is completely different than the spirit of that age or this age. Uh, the control of religion, self-promotion, self-sufficiency, none of that here. Number two, he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles or to the nations. That's the way Isaiah says it. So when you see this word Gentiles, 
It's the non-Jews. It's for the nations. These are the ones who were left out. Notice it in Jesus' ministry. Where does he minister the most? Jerusalem? He is in Galilee. It's called the Galilee of the Gentiles. The, the, the less religious people live there. That's where he loved to work and do his, his ministry. When he comes into Jerusalem and cleanses the temple, where is it that he goes? It's that outer gate, which was the place for the Gentiles to come and pray. And they'd made it a giant flea market. That's when you see the anger of Jesus, when they are being deprived of God himself. He will pray, proclaim justice to the nations. Thirdly, he will not quarrel or cry aloud. This is, I mean, this is exactly what we saw in verses 14 and 15. He withdraws. They want to kill him. He withdraws. He's not going to quarrel. He's not going to cry aloud. He moves in the opposite direction of his accusers. Jesus came to give his life. He did not fight to preserve his reputation, to defend his dignity. He was willingly betrayed by a friend and deserted by those closest to him. Yet he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And so, God's children, he says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they falsely accuse me, they will do. This is, if and when that happens to you, can I just say to you, it is the place where you might experience deep fellowship with Jesus. He said it. He said it would happen. So Christians in the persecuted world get this much better than Americans do. But it's, it's starting to happen more, and we want people to like us. It's okay. We want to be clear and kind, gracious and truthful. But where that happens, it's going to happen. That's what he says. It will. Fourthly, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. This is speaking what we have seen of the many who will not listen to him and reject him. And then fifthly, we come to that phrase that we've thought about already today. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. Do we not hear those same echoes? In that phrasing, get the word picture. Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Um, this week I, I went and did some reading of an old Puritan that I hadn't read for a long time. Uh, Richard Sibbs. Anybody? Anybody heard of Sibbs? Oh, I'm going to... Nobody? Joe's not here. Thank you. Okay, okay. So I don't generally recommend books, but I did two weeks ago and recommend this one to um, Banner Truth. has got a good edition of that. So the next couple of things, he wrote a book called um, A Bruce Reed, He Will Not Break. Really worth reading. So the next couple of things I'm going to say just really come from Sibs. It's a bruised reed. I want you to get the picture. Jesus is using a word picture. I don't know if that'll stand up. Probably it'll fall over later. But once you get the picture. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick, a candle that's barely, it's not going to snuff out. He does not ask you to come and be a strong tree. 
an oak tree, you come to him. No, it's a bruised reed. We thought about this before. We tend to want to hide our weaknesses. We're ashamed of our weaknesses. We think our sin keeps us from him. No, it actually draws his heart to us more. This is why Jesus came. He came for sinners. I came to seek and save the lost. I, I came, the, the healthy don't need a physician. I came for those who are sick. That's why I came. Why are you trying to hide it? We all do this, right? So our weaknesses, our failings, our sins, they're not excuses. But friends, here's what they are. They're actually, we see them as limitations. They're actually our ticket in. It's like our entrance card. Let that be what draws us to, I knew it'd fall over, the heart of the Father. I put it by the cross purposefully. That's the picture from Isaiah, God's heart. You know, people say like, God of the Old Testament's different than God of the New Testament? No way. It's the same. He just, it's revealed as a seed and comes over full born. This is his love for his people. We see our weakness as a limit, but it's actually our entrance pass. So we don't need to hide it. We don't need to be ashamed. We just need to hear Jesus call to come to him and come and come. So Sibs, I think he wrote 400 years ago, he says it's something like this. He says, when the scriptures speak of the humbled, the lowly, it always speaks of God's tender care and of his love for such. Let me say that again. When it speaks of the humbled and the lowly, the poor in spirit, it always speaks of God's tender care and love. Is that what you hear? It always does. So consider it for a moment this way. Some ask, so who's the bruised reed? It's often the one who's feeling guilty, shamed, not measuring up. Let me assure you, there's more mercy in God than you can grasp. There's more mercy in God than sin in you. That's actually a Sibs quote. Now I think that's probably where that song comes from. More mercy in God than you can grasp. More mercy in God than sin in you. Consider for a moment, think of scripture just for a second. We come to Hebrews 11, it's got the hall of faith. How is it that, think of Samson? How did Samson get in that hall of faith? Rahab? Gideon, they're in the same lineup as, as Abram. All of these with amazing inconsistencies. That should call out to his faith. Or think of how tenderly he deals with his disciples post-resurrection after they failed him. He knows their guilt and shame. They've all deserted him. Peter's the one that goes like, man, Jesus says, you're all going to fall away. Not me. I won't. Hear, the, hear the, the pride in that. We all have pride masked in certain ways. Peter just spoke it out loud. Some of us never speak it, but we'd say, we think it, not me. And, and, and Jesus, even, even at that point, tenderly says to him, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. And one of the Gospels, he includes this phrase, and when you've turned back, go and strengthen your brothers, forecasting repentance. Peter fails in a way that he never thought he could. He's got more shame on him than a person can imagine. And when the angel appears at the temple, Peter's not running to the temple, it's the women who go first. Remember the angel in Mark saying, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Name's Peter of all the 12. Go and tell them, I've risen, I'm going to go ahead to Galilee. 
Acts 15 there speaks of a private meeting that Jesus has with Peter. It's not written in the gospel accounts. It's none of our business. But before John 21, that public one, Jesus, he came and met with Peter. Think how tenderly he deals with them and their sins and desertion. Think of how he dealt with Thomas. Thomas isn't even around the rest of them when Jesus shows up. He can't even believe it. It's, it's ten other guys he's lived with for three. He doesn't believe it. And when Jesus comes to him, what's the tone of his voice? Come here, Thomas. He knows everything Thomas has said out loud, everything he's thought. Feel it right here. You can Come on, put your hand right here. The very hole in his side that Thomas said he wouldn't believe until he touched it. He was, he was being ironic. Put it here. There's no condemnation. There's, there's tenderness. That's how you see it again and again in the scripture. Friend, if you're one who doubts God's forgiveness or God's grace, think of what the scriptures say. Let it, let it come to it. You can have little faith. Just come and ask God to help you to see and hear and believe all that is here. This is who Jesus is. This is why he has come. Or this final one. I love this. I, I, I'm going to give you this quote. So when you're discouraged, this is the, this is the word picture from Sibs. So have any of you ever flown in a plane? Don't put it up yet. Almost. Okay. Ever flown in a plane and um, it's a cloudy day and you get up above the clouds and it's like, it's like bright sun. Now raise your hands. Anybody that ever happened to? Okay. That's just the picture Sibs paints. 400 years. I don't, know, I don't know. How does he know this when there's no airplanes? I don't know. But here's what he writes. Now put it up. Measure not God's love and favor by your feeling. The, sh the sun shines as clearly in the darkest day as it does in the brightest. The difference is not in the sun, but in some clouds which hinder the manifestation of the light. That's insightful. Come to Jesus. That's where it is. Ask him to do this in you. The last two phrases, he says, a bruised reed he will not break, a, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, until he brings justice to victory. Friends, justice will come. It will come. There is justice for our sins have been met at the cross. There are things sins done to you in that final day, all wrongs will be made right. It's Jesus' word, God's word, it's promised. And finally, in his, in his name, the nations will hope. What a beautiful word, hope. Anticipated future joy. It allows us to live with confidence. We don't, it's something we can't hold in our hand. But something God has said that he's, I believe it, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe it. It allows us to live with an anticipation of what God might do based on his character. We don't know how it all will work out, but we know who's good and who will accomplish good. And so that we trust. That's what Jesus came to bring. And it is for the nations. So the work I do in Central Asia, I'll call my friend Kevin. It's not his name. I just watch him doing this all the time with Muslim peoples. He's an incredible evangelist, and when he gets them one-on-one, -on -one, he's talking about their system of religion, and it's so oppressive to them. They never know if they've gained entrance. They never know. And as he speaks of them, of the faults of Islam and of what Jesus has done in Christianity, things they don't know, what he's speaking of continually is the hope of the gospel. All religions are not the same. Anybody who says that 
has not read scripture much at all and does not understand it. To have a savior who came and took on human skin to die in our place, to show us God, to bring God near is incredible. It's incredible, humbling. And he's calling us to himself. We've heard the invitation again and again. So that's where we close today. Jesus came that we might hope in God. And brother, a sister, friend today, I hope that's so for you. You can. <laughs> Peter wrote this. Peter's the one who wrote this in his first letter. You can cast all your cares upon him. Because he cares for you. Peter knows that. If you're one who has yet to turn to him completely, I want to say that's what he has for you. It's for all peoples. May it be, Lord, help us respond to you in good faith. Let me pray. Father, this has been your word to us today. It's rich and deep. Some of us will need to, with you, read this and think through it again. I pray that you will help us hear your voice in it and your call to us. I know that you are able to accomplish a million things at one time. Every single person here, you know. You know what word they would hear today. We did not. And so we ask it for your glory and for our good. In the name of Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.